At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Hey everyone, Sean Duffy in here, Fox Across America. In for Jimmy Fallon today. It's an honor to be flying the Jimmy Fallon plane or driving the Jimmy Fallon cab. I want to start the show off and talk to you about the debt limit. So don't let your eyes gloss over. There's a reason why I want to talk about it, why this is so important. Even though you all knew a deal was was going to get done, even though you knew that America would not default on her debt, you all knew that. But there's another really important reason why the debt limit should be discussed, the reasons that you need to know. But first, let's talk about what is in this debt deal and the history of it. So one, we had Joe Biden come and say, I want a clean debt limit increase. I'm not going to give you anything for Kevin McCarthy. And Kevin McCarthy said, au contraire, I'm going to pass a bill out of the House chamber with just Republican votes, which he did. Uh, Democrats didn't think Kevin McCarthy could do that. He kind of shocked them and stunned them. And then Joe Biden had to engage in a negotiation. And I'm going to play both sides for you. Republicans will say, you know what, this was a good deal. Uh, we got some reform to work requirements that you know people who get food stamps or, or TANF payments have to at least try to work or volunteer, a positive. Republicans clawed back $20 billion of the $80 billion that Republicans want to spend on building out the IRS to come after every single American and to be used, in my opinion, for political purposes. Republicans were able to cap spending at 1% growth after driving that spending back to last December's levels. And they call back COVID money that wasn't spent. So all in all, they're reducing spending. Yes, um, it's a deal that Kevin McCarthy, I think, effectively struck with a president that doesn't want to cut spending. So good on him. And if you're for the bill, you'd say that's those are the reasons why. But on the flip side, America is $32 trillion in debt. $32 trillion in debt. Ten years from now, we're going to be over $50 trillion in debt. And one day, Americans and people around the world are going to, are going to say, listen, I don't want to buy American debt. There's too much of it. We will have a debt crisis. And when that happens, we'll all fall into poverty. The U.S. dollar will be worth nothing. And therefore, what happens today to avert that crisis really matters. And the debt dealing, the, the debt deal is actually small ball. They didn't get that much to stave off a debt crisis in the future. We'll leave off an economy after that debt crisis for our children that is devastating. Nothing like an America that we all grew up in. So I think this debate is important. And I also think that it was a first step. So the debt, the debt limit, yes, Democrats conceded to cuts. That's positive. But that's not the last kick at the cat. There's going to be a negotiation on how America funds its government, which expires at the end of, uh, end of September of this year. 
Republicans are going to do appropriations bills, and hopefully they're going to cut even more money. Uh, and if they do that, um, I think, and, and, and consistently try to cut spending, this could be a good start, the debt limit. But if Republicans aren't consistently pushing on spending, we have a, a, a bleak future ahead of us. And let's lay out the problem here. Democrats aren't concerned about debt. Democrats aren't concerned about spending. They've spent billions of dollars on trying to address the homeless crisis, billions of dollars trying to address the drug crisis. And the more money they spend, the more homelessness we have. The more money they spend, the more drug use we have. Spending more money doesn't mean better results. We spend more money than anybody else in the world on our, on our kids' education. And if you look at how our kids perform against the rest of the world, they don't perform very well. They actually perform poorly. But, we, but Democrats keep coming back and saying more money is always the answer to fixing the problems that ails America. As opposed to saying, let's go back to the basics. Let's go back to maybe we have to have kids that are raised with respect. And you do that when you have a mom and a dad in the home. Maybe our kids should go back to church. Instilling faith in young Americans might be a positive thing so they don't take to the streets and beat up a couple of Marines on the beach in California. Maybe we should encourage them to put their phones down. Maybe those things would all help them be less depressed, less detached, and more productive members of society, maybe less willing to do drugs. Maybe the government shouldn't promote drug use. Maybe we shouldn't give away needles. Maybe we shouldn't decriminalize drugs. And that would be the answer as opposed to spending billions of dollars. And so I brought this, I wanted to talk about this right at the top of the show because this is something, the spending, the debt, the future, what's happening today, those chickens will come home to roost. If we don't have Republicans fighting like their lives depend on it, their future depends on it, um, the, 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 the debt crisis um, will come to our doorstep. Um, and I think what's important is Republicans, they have to do a better job of making the argument to the American people because a lot of people now like free stuff. I like free food. I like free housing. Um, I like subsidies. Um, I want to buy an electric car, subsidize my electric car. The, 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 the supercharger is too expensive. Subsidize my electricity for my electric car that you subsidized. I like the government to give me free stuff. And thus far, there hasn't been major consequence for it. But when you look at how much America spends in just servicing her debt, we're approaching a trillion dollars in service. A trillion dollars, almost as much as we spend on our, on our military, we spend just to pay interest on the American debt, and there's no end in sight. And that's going to gobble up more and more of our budget, which means you have less money for the services that you liberals want to pay for. So you can't keep spending and then pay interest on the debt and then think you have money to give to Ukraine, money to give to the homeless, money to give for electric vehicles, money to give people to build, build wind farms and, and solar panel farms. The, there's just not enough money to go around. And maybe it makes sense for Republicans to make the argument again that limited government works. The more limited your government, the less it spends, the less it's involved in your life, the more freedom that you have. Freedom comes with a limited government because 
Right now, our government is involved in every corner of our life, and they think they have access to every corner of our life. And when you bring government back, when government retreats, one, you're going to have more money in your pocket because they're going to tax you less. But number two, you get more freedom. I think that's an easy play for Republicans. But also, you got to have kids that actually were raised understanding that limited government means more freedom, that more spending means more taxes, that more spending and more borrowing means more interest payments, which means less money to pay for something else. I mean, we're dealing with big federal numbers, yet trillions of dollars we're dealing with, but every American family understands that when you spend too much money year over year over year, all of a sudden the credit card payments actually eat up the whole paycheck. And pretty soon there's nothing left for rent or mortgage. There's no money for food. There's no money for a vacation. There's no money for a car because you've spent all that money in the prior years, and now you're just trying to pay a little bit of principal and a whole bunch of interest on this debt. So this makes sense to most American families, and I think it's so important, this this fight that— Republicans are having, again, if you ask me, would I, would I vote for that bill? I wouldn't have. I'm too concerned about the debt. Do I give Kevin McCarthy credit for negotiating a, a, a deal with Joe Biden? 100% I do. A little bit later on the show, I'm going to talk about what this deal has done for Kevin McCarthy and his, and his ability to get more in the future. What's his position with America and with the Democrats and with Republicans? But we're going to go to a break right now, and when I come back, we're going to bring back— just a Fox News talent. She is, she's beautiful. She's smart. She has nine kids. And she is my wife. Rachel Campos-Duffy is going to join us right after this break. We'll be right back. The show that connects you to people in high places. It's like the most important man in the world standing here, and you got a conversation going with each other. Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, Sean Duffy here, Fox Across America, in for Jimmy Fela, taking a Friday off as the summer kicks off here. Um, I want to I move to our next guest, Rachel Campos Duffy, and talk to her about a, a topic that the two of us have been talking about for about a week. So we've all heard uh, the story about uh, Target, and Target has a huge pride display and in that pride display, which, by the way, they've done that for 10 years, but in this year's pride display, they're, they're pushing uh, pride gear, trans gear for children. They actually have male swimsuits that are actually women's swimsuits that have a tucket um, uh, contraption for men to wear a female swimsuit. So this has been a step too far for many Americans, and in some stores, Target has moved those pride displays from the front of the store to a less visible spot in the store. We've all heard about this, but Rachel and I have had another discussion about uh, another angle to this Target story. So let's bring my lovely, beautiful, hot wife, very smart, Rachel Campos Duffy, on to Fox Across America. Rachel, welcome to the program. So good to be here. Thanks. You've been doing fantastic. I've been listening all 
Why, well, clean it up and listen to Fox Across America. I love that. Nine kids. Yeah, and, I'm emptying the dishwasher and listening to you. <laughs> you're a multitasker. So we're, I we're, am, always. We're talking about the, the Target, and you and I have had a conversation uh, around our island and at the kitchen table and before we go to bed at night about another couple that's partnered with Target, and that is Chip and Joanne. Um, they do the yeah. show Fix It Upper. And fixer they, upper, fixer, fixer, Sean. Fixer upper. I thought that's what I said. Fixer upper. I thought you said fix it upper. I thought I said fixer. Anyway, but I appreciate having you on to correct <laughs> me when I'm wrong. I know you're not a huge, as huge of a fan of Chip and Joanna's on. I'm not, but I've been forced to have this conversation relentlessly with you because yeah. you are. So give me your yeah. take about because Chip and Joanne actually have their products. Is it Mang, Mang, uh, Mangolia? Magnolia. Magnolia. There we go. Magnolia products in in their Target store. What's the rub? Yeah, I'm still thinking about that song. I'm still man. Because <laughs> uh, you get all the the chick stuff wrong. But yeah, you know, Chip and Joanne are such an interesting couple. They have the show, as you said, Fixer Upper. They actually actually have a new network that they've spawned from that. And of course, they have several businesses. They have a restaurant. They have. Uh, a store, a huge complex of, of stores and, and, and eateries in, in their town of Waco. And they have a product line in Target. And, you know, they have been in Target for quite a while. A lot of people have been asking, you know, what are Chip and Joanne going to say about the fact that not just that they're putting pride stuff in the store. It's, Target's been doing that for a long time. It's just that it's kind of gone into overdrive. It's moved from sort of like the adult and teen section into the children's like infant section um, where there's a whole line of like onesies for pride. But that's not even it. It's that the fashion designer that they've partnered with on top of all of that it, and, and moving into the kids section is that that fashion designer is a self described trans satanist a um, which satanist. a trans satanist who knew right that that was a thing but it is and they deliberately partnered with this person it wasn't like they just found out that he was a trans satanist um he is which is why he's um promoting you know tuck it bikinis for or bathing suits for 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 target and among other kind of really questionable logos on his fashion uh, items in the stores, t-shirts and so forth. And so, you know, the question is, what would Chip and Joanne say? I mean, they're such a wholesome brand. They're such a wholesome, uh, you know, couple and family. Why have they not said anything? And that was sort of the, the question you and I had been grappling with. And initially, as we did that, Sean, you and I were, you know, and you in particular were like, listen, they've got, you know, the bottom line, right? They're making money. Um, their 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 partnership with Target is very lucrative. That's why they're not saying anything. I had um, Mr. Wonderful from Shark Tank, who's kind of like a brand guru. I asked him, listen, they're a wholesome brand. Should they let their customers know they don't stand with this kind of stuff? And he said, no, they shouldn't, um, that they would, you know, be delving into politics to do that. But I think staying silent, you are. I mean, by your 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 complicit through your silence when something this egregious, you know, this so obviously um, wrong 
and not moral and not appropriate well, for children is happening, and they're silent. Well, Rachel, to your point, the, the Chip and Joanne have held themselves out. Or, uh, the, the viewer might suspect that they are church-going Christians. They love their family, um, and a lot of people of faith and supporters of families have loved and watched their show. It's been very family-friendly. But because of the yeah. popularity of their show, they've also made friends with or have relationships with very famous, very liberal people in America. They went to, to Joe Biden's White House when, was it the South Korean um, uh, state leader? Dinner. State dinner. with South state Korea. They, yep. they went there. They would have never come to a Donald Trump state dinner because they would have gotten too much blowback. But here... They, they, they want they're very things. Sean they're they're very close with the Obamas with um the uh, well you know I shouldn't say close like it's not like they go out to dinner with them all the time or anything but they have forged relationships with the Obamas with the Bushes who are very prominent um in in um Texas um they actually did a makeover of one of JLo's homes and JLo actually came to Waco Texas to meet them at their home to talk about it and it was sort of like part of an episode. So they have a lot of fancy friends. They go on a lot of these sort of mainstream talk shows. They go to award shows because their show is so popular. So they do rub elbows. I think they were part of the time, the 100, you know, most whatever influential people. There are all kinds of award shows and fancy galas that they end up getting invited to and they're such a likable couple. But I do think that what I think people under because I think they have plenty of money, Sean. I think it's the bottom line. Yeah, they have their relationship with 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 Target. They have a money. lot of money. They would take a. They got a lot of they're money. Probably like private and, plane money. They're like they're they're, they're loaded. But yeah, is they're, it, they're, can, they're, but, they're loaded. So it's not a money thing. It's it, it is right because they want to keep selling to these places. Isn't it more than that? I think people underestimate the power of social acceptance or the power of you know. You're the small town Waco couple um, who's suddenly rubbing elbows with, you know, a lot of fancy people. And maybe they're impressed with that. And they know if they say anything about Target, it will be interpreted as anti-LGBTQ, which it is not to say, I don't think you should have all this pride stuff by trans Satanists in the baby section at Target. Um, hardly... <laughs> Um, extreme or radical, but, but here's the, but, but, but Rachel, but, but, but Rachel, I mean, Target's down. So the the, the stock price before this crisis uh, in their stores took, took place, their their price stock price was at one hundred and sixty dollars a share. Today, it's at one thirty. They've lost, I believe, fifteen billion dollars in market cap. And you have Chip and Joanne who want to sit on the sidelines and get business from conservatives, project a certain image to conservative consumers. But all the while, they want to have friends with all these leftists, and I don't. I don't think that's right. Listen, if if you want to if you want to partner with the leftists, the Satanists, the transgender movement that wants to push to kids, so be it. But I'm going to reject you as a conservative um, consumer. Rachel Campbell Stuffy, thanks for joining me. Appreciate it. Always grateful. Bye bye. We'll be right back. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. 
Welcome back to Fox Across America. I am Sean Duffy in for the great Jimmy Fela taking a Friday off as our summer kicks off. I want to go into this fight that the House is having with FBI Director Christopher Wray. So uh, you have the House representatives that uh, had a whistleblower tell them that the FBI has information. They actually have a document that lays out a criminal enterprise when Joe Biden was vice president, where he promoted or pushed uh, legislation, not legislation, um, uh, policy changes in exchange for a massive payment uh, in the millions of dollars uh, to his family. Uh, Republicans know uh, a lot of the details of that which is in the document. Um, it's called a, uh, an FBI document, which is FD-01023 is the form that this information is on. Uh, the House Republicans have subpoenaed that document. Christopher Ray, appointed by Donald Trump, has refused to comply with that subpoena. They've now negotiated a deal where it appears that Christopher Ray is going to bring the document to the House of Representatives into the SCIF. It's a secure setting where... Uh, Jamie Raskin, the head head Democrat on the Oversight Committee, and Jamie Comer. Both of them can go in and review this document. To talk about this more, uh, let's bring in former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York and Fox News contributor Andy McCarthy. Andy, thanks for joining me on uh, Jimmy's show, Jimmy's Ship. Thanks for being here. Uh, Sean, it's a pleasure. So let's talk about, um, first, the, the position of of Christopher Ray, the director of the FBI. He's saying, listen, Congress, I know you subpoenaed this document. I don't want to give it to you. Um, you understand the FBI. Did Christopher Ray have really any grounds to say, hey, listen, Congress, I'm not going to comply with a subpoena? He had grounds, Sean, to raise the concerns the FBI has, which are legitimate, about the um, the potential compromise. They have to be able to guarantee um, a measure of confidentiality to sources. Otherwise, people won't be sources. They won't be willing to give information to the FBI. But somebody in our, in our constitutional structure of separate powers, uh, somebody has to have the whip hand. And in this instance, it's Congress. So it was fine for Ray to make his points and try to persuade Congress. And I think he, you know, the fact that uh, Jamie Comer ended up agreeing to, rather than have this document, uh, you know, copied and supplied to the full committee, uh, you know, there are going to be obvious precautions uh, in the production of it on Monday so that only Comer and Raskin are going to get it, as you just described, at the skip. So it's not like the points that Ray made uh, that Comer thought they were illegitimate uh, but, you know, it was wrong for Ray to be intransigent. Uh, the FBI has not a legal leg to stand on in telling Congress that it can't have a document. You know, there are certain instances where the executive branch can tell Congress no when they demand information if it implicates a constitutional privilege of the president. But Which this, this is not, not that. Right. That this was just this is Congress created the FBI. The FBI is not in the Constitution, and Congress has every right to to make sure the FBI is, uh, uh, you know, conducting its operations correctly and spending the public's money the way it's supposed to spend and, it. And what, here's what concerns me, and I spent nine years in Congress, but it seems like when the FBI does not want to provide a document to the Congress, which is often, 
they will cite sources and methods. Uh, sources and methods yep. will be disclosed. We can't provide that document to you. Yep. When you look at the, the, the underlying issue and you go, well, actually, it wasn't really sources and methods. It was probably that, and, and, and I would argue in this case, we haven't, I haven't seen the document, nor have you, that there's probably some protection of Joe Biden. They don't want to give it to the Congress because this may be used in a way the FBI doesn't want, might put Joe Biden in a bad light. So one, is is that a possibility? And then number two, if the FBI didn't actually, t- the, the, the reports are from the whistleblower, that, that the, the informant that helped craft this document about the criminal scheme with the Bidens back when Joe Biden was vice president, he was a credible informant. And so the question becomes, what did the FBI do to investigate a credible informant? Did they actually dive in and investigate and find there was nothing to the allegation? Or did they do nothing? And Or did they find, listen, we investigated it and, and Joe Biden was clean. This never happened. But is the FBI also trying to protect itself? One, is it protecting Joe Biden? And number two, are they protecting themselves because they didn't do an investigation here? Yeah, I think that point, Sean, hits the nail on the head. It's uh, and this, it's kind of a, it's kind of another side of your earlier point about like, are they trying to protect Biden? Whether they're trying to protect Biden or not, what I suspect is that they're not going to be able to answer satisfactorily uh, the next logical question that Jamie Comer will have after inspecting this document, which is, what did you do about it? Like, how did you investigate it? And you're quite right that this information doesn't come to Comer in a vacuum. Uh, It comes from whistleblower agents who are frustrated over the fact that the politically connected Bidens have proven more difficult to investigate because the the agents, the investigators are being hamstrung by their superiors. They're not being able to do the normal things that you would do in a criminal investigation. So I think that's one reason for – raise resistance. We'll have to see how that plays out. I think the other important lesson here, Sean, is after eight years of really appalling poor performance and politicization and a lot of malfeasance, you know, I remember when I was a prosecutor, the FBI used to win these battles with Congress because they had such a high reputation with the public for uh, integrity and that they were at least trying to do the job that if they went in and told Congress, we're not going to give you this because you'll compromise our investigation, Congress would back off because they didn't want the public to think they were obstructing the FBI. But after eight years of acting as politically as they've acted, the public isn't buying it like they used to. And I think the FBI is going to have to face the fact that it's not as formidable as it used to be in these clashes. I think it's a really good point. The, the 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 political dynamic between the Congress and the FBI really does come into play. I was watching Devin Nunes, and I'd forgot about this. Uh, he was on Fox News, and and he had, as he was discussing, um, when he was uh, the head of the intelligence agency. Uh, he had mentioned that, uh, obviously, with the Russia collusion hoax, we've now learned there was really nothing to uh, the dossier, and there was really no basis for an FBI investigation, the DOJ's involvement. And when uh, when Nunes was giving pushback to the FBI and saying, listen, we're going to investigate the FBI about what you're doing on this, on this case that has no uh, basis against President Trump, he indicated, and I had forgot about this, he said the FBI actually opened investigations up against members and staffers on the Intelligence Committee. 
I mean, right. they're at war. They think they're untouchable, it seems. Like, they can do whatever they want, and the Congress and the American people can't touch them. Yeah, I think the thing is they've become – and I hate to say this because I have a lot of affection for the FBI. I worked as a prosecutor. My best cases were with the FBI over 20 years. But, you know, I think they've become a willing cog in the administrative state. And that's really bad for the country because they're probably with their law enforcement and counterintelligence powers. They're they're as powerful as any agency in the administrative state. And if you're going to, you know, if you're going to be a willing cog in the administrative state instead of just a straight-up nonpartisan law enforcement agency, then you're going to be a part of the arsenal of the party of government, and that's the Democrats. So, unfortunately, I think we're we've seen the wages of a natural alliance between the party of government and an agency that unfortunately decided it wanted to be just another administrative state, you know, that whole alphabet soup of uh, agencies that are, you know, just have their tentacles all through our lives in a way they didn't used to. If you want to play by the political sword, you will die by the political sword. Instead of just being, as you mentioned, a a law enforcement agency, they've been playing politics. Let me ask you about, so so we we talked about the, 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 the two heads, Republican and Democrat of the Oversight Committee, Jamie Raskin and uh, and Comer are going to look at this document. And we talked about sources and methods. Will the FBI redact the information in regard to sources and methods for just these two members of Congress reviewing this document in the SCIF? I would think that they will not redact it since it's only the, the heads of the committees because, uh, you know, let's remember this document is not classified. They're, Comer is indulging uh, the fact that Ray wants to treat it like it's classified and disclose it in a skiff, and I think from from Comer's standpoint, his he's saying now I need the information. So okay, you want to play this game? We'll do it this way. We'll do it in a skiff. We'll do all that. Uh, I think if he try if the FBI tries to redact it, we're in a very different place. And I have to think that Ray um, is not going to do that because the reason he essentially caved in today is because he doesn't want to be held in contempt, which I think that's good. He's He seems to be one of the rare people uh, in the uh, administrative state these days who, um, who still thinks it's bad to be held in contempt rather than a badge of honor. And, so I, you know, I give him that credit. Yeah, you give him credit for that as well. But if, 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 if you were going to redact the document, I would think that the Congress would say, well, then give us, give the whole Congress. The document yes, itself, right? right? Exactly right. Um, and again, he's probably Comer's probably seated to say, "I want to look at the whole document, not redacted." Um, so, let me ask you this: D- Do you think it's a mistake for Congress to cede to the FBI only the two heads of this committee get to see it when they actually have the power to? This is not a pending investigation. This is not classified. That they're actually allowing the FBI to put these kind of guardrails around a document that, to your point, the Congress is actually entitled to. Um, yeah, is, I, is it, I mean, I, I, it seems like the the Congress is ceding power to the FBI. Well, just I, I think that's right, Sean. But uh, you know, we're looking at it legally, and I think unfortunately, my, this is like one of my uh, hobby horses, but. You know, we like to think of ourselves as a rule of law society, but we're really a political society. And if we wanted to play out the chess game, what if Bray told Comer, no, you're not getting it? 
Um, yes, they could hold him in contempt, and you know, Ray could be yet another one of these government officials gets held in contempt. But then what? Uh, the next step would be to impeach him, and they don't have the votes to impeach him. And Ray knows that, and Comer knows that. So Ray doesn't want to be held in contempt, so you're getting uh, a little bit more uh, performance than you might otherwise get. Remember, Eric Holder didn't care about didn't Republicans care. holding him in contempt, and he just flouted the whole so, thing. Can I ask you can I, a, a distinction? Yeah, sure. I don't have a ton of time. So if you look back to the January 6th committee, when – when uh, Trump Trump uh, employees or people involved in January 6th did not comply with that committee's subpoenas, they were held in contempt and referred for criminal prosecution. Why wouldn't the same happen to, to a Christopher Ray? Why wouldn't he be treated well, I, as the J6 committee? Yeah, I think the same would happen to him. Now, not everybody that the J6 committee referred to the Biden Justice Department got prosecuted. Right. Bannon and Navarro did. Some other people didn't. But the other thing I point out about this, like I, I keep hearing when people ask the question you just asked, um, you know, they say the Biden Justice Department is never going to prosecute uh, right. Ray under these circumstances. And my response to that is it's a five year statute of, of limitations, limitations. <laughs> and it won't always be the Biden Justice Department. <laughs> that point is well made. So if uh, if a Republican wins the presidency and there's a there's a new head at the Department of Justice, a different decision may be made. Yeah, I think it could be part of the campaign. No, it actually could be. Listen, I think this is a, it's a fascinating conversation. I think it's important, this dance that's done between the Congress and the FBI. I do think the American people are entitled to see documents that uh, the FBI is not untouchable. The FBI can't play politics. Um, and so I'm, I'm proud of Comer. i got to tell you, I'm, I'm surprised at how well the new Republican Congress has done, how much information they've gotten. Um, I, I, I maybe the I thought the bar was a lot lower. Um, are you impressed as well? Do you, th- do you think they've done a pretty good job so far, Andy? I, I am impressed, and I also think Sean that the they've grasped the new reality faster than the bureau has. The the bureau still thinks it's like 2005, and they can go in there and say sources and methods, and everybody's going to faint. Um, and that's that's just not the way it is anymore. Maybe there's a rebalancing, Andy McCarthy. I hope so. Listen, thank you for joining me on Jimmy's show, Fox Across America. Very grateful. You're always so smart and insightful on these very thorny legal issues. So I appreciate you joining me. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much. Andy McCarthy, thanks for being on the show. Um, All right, we're going to take another break. We'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. That's my name. Don't wear it out. Welcome back to Fox Across America. We're going to open the phone line. We have Blake who wants to give his reaction to my take on the debt limit conversation and negotiation. Blake, welcome to the show. Yeah, this negotiation, thank you for taking my call, but this negotiation reminds me of so much of 2009 when they promised that sequestration if they'd give Obama that 1100 $1,100 billion, which is $1.1 trillion stimulus plan, and when it came around to the annual budgets, they would make all the reductions then. They raised the limit, and they made the money available, and, it, and, and uh, they, they gave it a name called sequestration, 
and Congress was supposed to back it up with cuts. And by the time that short period came on around for the next fiscal year, they wound up doing another nearly um, or 900 billion, was it? And it just—it's like they don't use sequestration and they don't use quantitative easing for what they're doing now, and it's exactly the same thing because they don't want anybody to remember back to '09 when uh, they uh, they made that same agreement. And then they violated all the terms of reducing the spending. So, so for me, uh, House Speaker, Majority Speaker McCarthy, he was first in goal, and he decided to punt. And it's just a crime because when, when money is created with no tangible assets, anybody in economics can tell you when the money pool is increased, the, pr- the products – are more expensive, the tax levels go up, and industry becomes stifled. And then we have a president in there who's using little tricks like, okay, I'm, I'm saving so much money by gouging back $29 billion out of the uh, uh, unspent COVID funds, but he's putting $22 billion into the Commerce Department. What's Commerce Department doing? Is going to the Energy, the energy Department of Energy and, send, and sending this money out to states who are willing to pay off the coal industries that have functioning coal plants and shut them down. They've done two of them in Texas already. So, so shut Blake, these down with money that was should have been gone back to pay off our debt. So, Blake, you bring up some really good points. Um, you got some of the numbers wrong. It wasn't 2009. It was 2011. I was in Congress uh, during sequestration. You bring up quantitative easing, also a really good point. Um, we got to go to break, but when we come back, I'm going to talk about the points you made and we're going to talk about the 2024 election cycle. It's starting to heat up. Don't go anywhere. Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. It is Fox Across America. I am Sean Duffy, and I am in for Jimmy Fallon. Thanks for joining us. Hour two of Jimmy's show. So uh, before the last break, we had Blake called in, and he was not happy with the debt ceiling deal that Kevin McCarthy negotiated with Joe Biden. Uh, He said uh, McCarthy was on the one-yard line, first and one, and he decided to say punt or kick a field goal. I forget what he said. But he doesn't like it. And he brought up a couple points. He said, number one, think back to 2009, which was actually 2011, when we had this last big fight. He said, Republicans, they, they agreed to this thing called sequestration, where there were going to be automatic cuts that were put in place over the course of the next several years. That was negotiated with Barack Obama and John Boehner. And a lot of the conservative media came out. I was in Congress, by the way, at that time. I didn't love the structure of that deal. But in the end, I, I believe I did vote for it. And a lot of conservatives blasted sequestration. And once sequestration started to take effect and the mandatory cuts started to happen, all of a sudden conservatives were like, oh, my God, that's actually a that's this is real. These are real cuts. This is a real thing. Maybe John Boehner wasn't so dumb when he cut that deal. This is impressive. But to Blake's point, one of the problems that you have is no Congress is bound by a prior Congress. So a future Congress can undo what 
the negotiators in 2011 negotiated with Barack Obama, and they did. They got rid of sequestration, so the promised cuts never came, which was Blake's point, and that's always a risk. You need people that are focused, that are mission-driven in curtailing how much America is spending. Uh, he also brought up quantitative easing, which the quantitative easing uh, is is done by the Fed, and this is when basically the Federal Reserve creates money out of thin air. Uh, they started this um, back in the uh, what early 2010, 2011, and at this point, the Federal Reserve has created in the last 13 years almost nine trillion new dollars. So they create money out of thin air, and they buy U.S. debt, and they're able to keep interest rates low, and they print money. Uh, one of the reasons why we also have inflation. It's not just energy. It's not just spending, but it's also all the dollars that have been pumped into the economy through quantitative easing from the Federal Reserve. That was Ben Bernanke back in the day. And um, at the time, a lot of good economists said this will create inflation. And Ben Bernanke said, no, it won't. Uh, and lo and behold, it is part of the inflation story, $9 trillion of, of new money. So uh, good points uh, made by Blake. Um, but I also, you know, appreciate talking about the economy and the debt limit. I also want to talk about 2024 uh, and the race is heating up, right? So uh, Donald Trump was the first candidate to get in the race, but we also had V. Baker, Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott have all got in the race. Ron DeSantis just entered. A lot of speculation that Ron was going to run governor from Wisconsin. I'm from Wisconsin, from Florida. I'm from Wisconsin. Ron is from Florida. Done a fantastic job. Did well with COVID. Uh, he did well with opening his state up. He did well with rules, regulations, and taxes in his state, which has caused people from all over the country, and oftentimes liberal states like New Jersey and New York and, and Illinois, have left their states that don't have freedom, that have high taxes, and they've gone to Florida. And they brought their businesses and their money with them. And Florida has done very well under Governor Ron DeSantis. And a lot of people have told Ron, hey, listen, you are brilliant. You are bright. You have a young family. You could be the next president. You should run. One of the backstories, and, and Donald Trump mentions this, and he's right. When Ron DeSantis, he, he was a House member. I served with Ron DeSantis in the House. When Ron was in the House, uh, he ran for governor. And during his race for governor, uh, it was flailing. He wasn't doing well. He was low in the polls, wasn't raising big money. And Ron did come to Ron. Ron did go to Donald Trump and say, hey, Donald, I, listen, I defend you on TV. I've got your back. We're, we're, we're brothers in America first. MAGA, MAGA, MAGA. Would you please endorse your good friend Ron DeSantis for governor in Florida? I would be so grateful. And lo and behold, Donald Trump did endorse Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis ran ads in his campaign talking about, you know, reading his books to his children, talking about Make America Great in MAGA and Donald Trump's endorsement. And what happened is DeSantis came from pretty far back in the polls and shot to the top and won the governor's race in Florida. And Donald Trump will say, listen, I, was, I, I gave you this. Without my endorsement, you would have lost. You would have been out of politics. And you're ungrateful, by the way, because now you're going to run against me for president? When I gave you your political shot in Florida, how dare you? You're ungrateful. That, that, that claim is made by Trump, and that claim is actually true. And so as you see, the, the campaign now start to kick off. We have uh, Chris Christie. He's talking about getting back in the race. Mike Pence is looking at running for president. By the way, Chris Christie, I, I don't understand why Chris Christie is 
going to run. He, 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 he didn't do well in the last presidential contest. Um, Donald Trump was pretty rough with with Chris Christie on the debate stage. And Chris Christie, a former prosecutor, was well known as a debater. And Donald Trump kind of wiped the floor with him. I don't know. Maybe Chris Christie wants to come and have round two with with uh, Donald Trump on the stage and try to get him back um, during the debates. Not, not sure about that. But I do think anyone can rise to the top. But this really appears to be a race between Trump and DeSantis. And uh, you compare that to what's happening on the Democrat side. You have uh, Joe Biden, who's announced he's running for re-election, hasn't done any real campaign events. He's raised some money out there, but doesn't do rallies, doesn't, you know, talk to, you know, his Democrat base, doesn't try to energize them. And if you look at the fall uh, that I'm going to talk about later in the show with Dagan McDowell, the fall that took place yesterday, uh, you know, poor Joe took a face plan, um, says he tripped over a sandbag, but we don't know that. We haven't verified that. But what I did notice is how hard it was for uh, Joe Biden to stand up. He 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 tried to get to his knees and he fell back on his behind and needed to have security reach down and, and pick him up and get him back on his feet. It's, he's pretty frail. Um, he doesn't want to debate because RFK Jr. at 20 percent with a with the president that's been Joe Biden's been doing all the liberals and progressives, all they've asked of him, Joe Biden's been doing. But still, RFK is at 20 20 percent. Marianne Williamson, she's at 10%. So there is a great counter push against Joe Biden because Democrats don't want him to run. And when you have Joe Biden, who's older, not as uh, mentally acute, uh, and he's going to sit on the sidelines, not really campaign. And then on the Republican side, you actually have a pretty aggressive campaign schedule, a lot of people running, uh, punches being thrown. I'm of the belief that metal sharpens metal. The Republican candidates are going to get more press. They're going to be able to hone their messages more. They're more able to take punches from their political opponents and the press. It makes a candidate stronger when they have a tough campaign in a primary for the victor to go on in the general and actually prevail. So I think in this campaign season, Republicans are better off because they're going to have grit. It's going to be tough. They've got to, again, have the right messages that they get a hone on the campaign trail. As Joe Biden sits at the White House working maybe six hours a day and taking vacations at Camp David or his property up in Maryland at the beach, these guys are out there working, pounding the pavement, shaking hands, hearing from voters. It's so important to hear from voters. What is their perspective? What are their concerns? What keeps them up at night? Real people that tell you their real stories make candidates more relatable because they take those stories and are able to craft policies around the issues and concerns that the people they met have. So, I mean, it's, it's how it works. When I would campaign running for Congress, uh, I would do six or six, I think six parades on the 4th of July. But through the summer, June it's June right now. It's June uh, Dairy Days, Dairy Month in Wisconsin. Every community has a dairy breakfast. If you're not in Wisconsin, maybe you don't know what that is, but they serve, you know, Cheese and milk and pancake—they're they're delicious, right? I'd go there, shake hands, and, and and meet people really early in the morning. But I'd get a blister between my 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 pointer finger and my my thumb from that little flap of skin you have there. Get a big blister from shaking so many hands. I talk to a lot of people. It makes you better when you do that. Again, Joe Biden sitting in the White House with advisors and and Jill Biden, you know, giving him tea and yogurt uh, does not make him sharper. Does not make him better. It makes him a worse candidate. 
but as this season kicks off, right, um, the polling, as I think a lot of you talk to just, you know, people that might vote in a Republican primary, Donald Trump is crushing it. Uh, for most Republican voters or likely Republican voters, Donald Trump is at roughly 45 percent. Polls differ slightly, but Donald Trump, 45 percent. Ron DeSantis in the 20 percent range. So Donald Trump has a uh, a, a, a 20, 25 point lead over Ron DeSantis in this primary. Now, it is early. Um, things can change. But the two are uh, now trading barbs. They're, they're, they're punching each other. I would not, they're not punching. They're actually slapping. They're like, it's a little girl fight between these two. They did little slaps to the face. It hasn't got really aggressive yet. This is like the pre fight. And so uh, you have. Uh, Donald Trump on Hannity last night, by the way, it was a great town hall. Again, the comparison of Donald Trump on a on a stage with Sean Hannity, again, a, a, a friendly interview with a friendly crowd, but getting questions and really sharp as he is able to. You might not like the answers, but you got to look at Donald Trump and go, oh, by the way, I did like the answers, but you look at him able to take questions and give answers and sharp on what's happening in, in the world. Very impressive. All the while, Joe Biden Again, falling yesterday, a very stark difference between these two men and their abilities. But uh, Donald Trump last night on Hannity took some shots at uh, Ron DeSantis. Let's go to clip one. It is what it is. You know, I, I really go after the one who's second. And I think the one who's second is going down so much and so rapidly that I don't think he's going to be second that much longer. I think he's going to be third or fourth. He had a very bad day today. He got very angry at the press. You're not allowed to get angry at the press. So that, again, is Donald Trump uh, taking some shots at Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis is number two, but pretty soon he's going to be at three or number four. And by the way, why wouldn't Donald Trump think that? Because if you look back to 2016, uh, he went after Jeb Bush. Again, called Jeb Bush low-energy Jeb. And I I heard that, and I'm like, this is the dumbest uh, slight against a candidate. Who? What? Uh, what advisor would ever tell you to call Jeb Bush low energy, and that's going to destroy his candidacy? But Jeb was low energy, and it resonated with people that yeah, Jeb Bush doesn't doesn't have the energy to actually be president of the United States. And Donald Trump, with that phraseology, destroyed uh, Jeb Bush. And then came Ted Cruz, and he called him Lion Ted. And then Marco Rubio, both I love Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz, but called Marco Little Marco. It's an immutable trait that Marco Rubio has. He's not the tallest guy, but Donald Trump used that to to take them down to get under their skin. And why wouldn't he think that same thing, that same name calling, that same pressure that worked in 2016 won't work against Ron DeSantis? But here's. Uh, Ron DeSantis giving a little pushback to Donald Trump uh, seven. Former President Trump yesterday uh, was uh, criticizing your name. Uh, he's nicknamed you, uh, saying he did a release yesterday, actually uh, commenting on, like, fixated on your last name, whether it's DeSantis, DeSantis, DeSantis. He's, he keeps coming at you. Um, what's your reaction to attacks like that, even on your name? Do you, do, do you think that's sort of beneath the former president, or do you is that what you expect? I think it's so petty. I think it's so juvenile. I don't think that's what voters want. And honestly, I think that that his conduct, uh, which he's been doing for years now, uh, I think that's one of the reasons he's not in the White House now, because I think he alienated too many voters uh, for things that really don't matter. So I don't get in the gutter on any of that. I don't get in the gutter on any of that. That was on Good Morning New Hampshire conversation that Ron DeSantis was having with the host. 
Um, and again, I think Ron is, 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 is Ron a good family guy? It appears so. He has little kids. They seem to be nice. Um, Ron, conservative. Um, I, I'm happy he's going after Disney. Um, push back against the 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 corporate benefit they get that no other corporation gets in the state of Florida that Disney gets. They take it away. You want to get involved in politics, Disney, so be it. But um, you're not going to get special breaks and you're not going to attack kids, try to sexualize kids um, in our state. So um, this is I'm just going to this is the start of the campaign. And you see these little hits coming from both sides. But as this heats up, we're going to get into uh, into uh, August and September. Debates are are being announced. The hosts of those debates are being announced. Uh, Donald Trump says, I'm not going to participate, but Trump does well in debates, so he's probably going to be there. And once the debate season kicks off, you're going to see those little slaps turn into punches. It's going to be all-out war. And if the candidates don't play the game that Donald Trump plays, who's punching them hard and at war with them, they'll fail. I do think that you have to respond to Donald Trump when he calls you names and attacks you and your record. So it's going to get interesting. But with that, we're going to go to break. We'll be right back. This is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Welcome back to Fox Across America. Sean Duffy here in for Jimmy Fallon. Let's go to the phone lines. I think we have Alex from Brooklyn on the line. He wants to give a commentary on loyalty. Maybe my commentary between uh, Trump and DeSantis where... I argue that DeSantis wasn't loyal to Trump, but Alex may have a different view. Alex, your line is open. Hey, Sean. Great job. Thanks for taking the call now. Uh, you could say uh, Ron wasn't loyal to Trump. Yeah, Alex, we're having a hard time hearing you. Uh, Alex, are you there? All right. We lost Alex. Uh, it was. Oh, no. Oh, no. Alex, you're back. Go ahead. Yep. Thanks for taking the call. Um, here's what I think. In politics, for a candidate to be able to run, there should be no such thing as loyalty. The only loyalty that politicians should have are to the American people. And so for Trump to tell the American people and the Republican voters that elected him in 2016, this was something that was good for Trump, right? He wanted this. We let him be president. Now, we're thankful to him, but we should have a choice here with who we want should be our next president. And if we think he's not as electable in the general election as Ron DeSantis, and that's why we want Ron DeSantis or for any other reason, for him to say, Ron DeSantis, you're not allowed to run because you owe me your loyalty, that is unfair to the American people. And that's against our freedom, I think. That, that's not something that he should be arguing. He should make the case for why he's a better president. But that kind of rhetoric is despicable, I think. But so, you were also talking about— yep, uh, uh, let, let, let me ask you a question about that, because you might say, well, people who are loyal, it becomes a campaign issue. Now, that doesn't mean that Ron DeSantis shouldn't run. Donald Trump can think that, but he has a right to run. But also you might bring up that— Maybe Donald Trump hasn't been loyal to his wife. Maybe someone hasn't been loyal to their finances. Um, those are signals. The loyalty is also a sign of will you be loyal to the American people? Could those things be related? And isn't loyalty a campaign issue? It becomes an issue all the time in ads and um, in rhetoric on the campaign trail. 
Yeah, but here's the thing. If Ron DeSantis, the only reason why he would be running, I think, is if he believes that he has a good case that Trump is not able to win in the general election. And if that's the case, then there should be no loyalty here because we don't have to sacrifice the general election just so that Trump should be able to be the nominee. And Ron DeSantis doesn't have to say, I'm not running because I'm going to be loyal to Trump when we're going to be sacrificing the next four years of having so many more disasters under this Biden administration. Well, well, we'll agree on that. Listen, this the Biden administration, I'm shocked at in just two and a half years how far the country can fall with such radical, crazy policies. I mean, when you're when you're a, a, a socialist, when you are a Marxist, when you have policies that don't support, support free enterprise, don't support freedom, you let criminals on the streets, you don't want to incarcerate them, you open up your border, you print money and spend big league, um, bad things happen. And that has what ha- that is what's happened here uh, in this country. And I think... America, American voters, are ready for a new course, a, root, a new choice. Alex, thank you. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Fox Across America. Again, this is Sean Duffy in for Jimmy Fela. I have an honor to be here uh, with our next guest, who's one of the two women who control my life, that rule my life. One is... <laughs> My actual wife, Rachel Campos Duffy, and the other is my on-air wife, which is Dagan McDowell, <laughs> my co-host of The Bottom Line. I, Dagan. Just, <laughs> I just try to fall in line and not create problems. Right. <laughs> if you watch our show, you know she does not fall in line for anything, um, which is great. That's why she's so unique and so fun. Thanks for coming and sitting with me as we I'm... do the Jimmy Fallon show before we do our own show on The Bottom Line. No, you line. drive. I'm just sitting here. I like riding in cars. You like riding in the passenger seat? Yeah, exactly. Well, I don't want you in the passenger seat because I, I want to dive further in, with, with you on um, on this Joe Biden fall, right? So he's at the Air Force Academy graduation. He's standing up for a long period of time. He exits uh, the podium and completely face plants, right? And now the, the White House has come out and said he's tripped over a sandbag. Joe Biden was was sandbagged. But I also, and I want your take on this, it, and again, I, I think we both would agree, this was a sad state for an elderly man who, who tripped and fell and went completely down. But I thought it was troubling at the difficulty at which he had in getting up. He tried to get up to his knees, and he couldn't. He had to have Secret Service come over and help lift him up uh, to go back to his seat. It just, I think, shows how frail Joe Biden is. And how does this play with the American people? How does this play internationally? Well, everybody should be concerned about his state of mind and his physical state. And it's on display for the entire world to see. Democrats comes up in every poll about whether he should run again, are concerned about him as a leader, because if it's not him running the country, who the hell is it? Who's who's the backup? Right. It's right. Kamala Harris. <laughs> right. The I love a yellow school bus. <laughs> Raise your hand. Who doesn't love a yellow school bus? Bus. That's my imitation. The I've witnessed this and I and you brought this up. President Trump's response to Sean Hannity last night about I'm not going to discuss his mental acuity. mental acuity. Brilliant discussion about that. But when 
I have a father who is 87. He goes to physical therapy three times a week to learn how to get up if he falls. You shuffle when you are of a certain age and you have a tendency to fall more often and you can't catch yourself because your response time is delayed. These are all issues that older people deal with. And these are all issues that every single American voting in a primary I, I say that as if there's a Democratic primary, primary or anybody voting for the presidency has every right to raise questions about this. And I, and I think people have a right to feel bad for Joe, right? Because they do see the mental slip. But you, I'll even just because I bring this up because it's at the forefront of my mind when he did the vice presidential debate with Paul Ryan. If you go back and pull that up on YouTube, I mean, he was sharp. He was a bulldog. I completely disagree with him, but he was he was Johnny on the spot. And you compare that to what he does today, and you can see how far he's fallen mentally, but also you see the the physical ailments. And I find you, you mentioned Democrats and Democrat voters. This is in their mind as well. They don't necessarily like Joe Biden. They want another choice. But I find it fascinating. If they get a different choice, they won't get different policies. And the failures that we've seen in America for the last two years is not because Joe Biden is a frail old man. It's that he has staff around him that are helping him introduce really radical ideas that are having a massive impact for the negative on the American people. And if you bring in um, Kamala Harris, if you bring in Gavin Newsom, you're not going to change the policy, which means things won't get any better. They're actually going to get worse. Radio listeners can't see me nodding (laughs) about the devastation that Joe Biden and his cronies have wrought on America. And then when you talk about Newsom, yes, I'm shaking my head. No, nothing will change if you had a Gavin Newsom. Actually, the nation would move further left. It is in terms of a pursuit of a climate agenda that devastates the American people. It lowers our standard of living. There has been zero cost-benefit analysis done on pushing, uh, t- forcing Americans in into electric vehicles when we don't have a grid that can produce and deliver the electricity necessary if you're going to make two-thirds of the population drive electric cars and trucks. That's just a small sliver of it, and it seeds power and prosperity to nations that hate us, whether it's nations like Russia that produce oil, Iran, Venezuela, and then it gives seeds power and prosperity to China because they have all the – a lot of the rare earth metals and minerals that we need to make batteries. Why do you think Elon Musk was – doing a kowtowing tour and they, around and they, China. And, and they have the technology for for right. wind and solar and batteries. Most of the technology is coming from China. You mentioned the critical minerals. We can't make the batteries that go into the critical minerals or the critical minerals that go into solar panels. We can't make those products because we don't have, one, the technology, we don't have the infrastructure, but we don't have the critical minerals. And I find it it's a good point because this transition that Democrats want to make on their green push is making us more reliant on China. So let's, let's play this. I call game. it myopic 
moronacy. It is nearsighted idiocy is what it is. They have done no analysis of the financial impact and whether it's even deliverable. There was a story, and I'm going to get part of this wrong, but Gavin Newsom's plan right now is to set up to have the state of California produce electricity via offshore wind Wind farms. And then the people of California are going to get charged for that, but they won't say how much that is. What's going to be the surcharge on your electric bill for that? Because he's already made an ass of himself because last year in August, they mandated that every new vehicle, I think it's 2035, must be electric, sold in California. And then a week later, which we talked about on the bottom line, 6 p.m. on the Fox News channel, that a week later. Fox Business Channel, not Fox News. Did I say Fox News? You said Fox News. It's Fox Business. I'm Don't, a moron. Come on over and see us on Fox Business. Well, I'm a moron. Thank God I'm here, Dagan. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but a week later, they had to tell people not to charge their electric vehicles because there were blackouts. Well, listen, this makes a lot of sense because you and I both know that anything that the private sector can do, we know that the government can do better and for cheaper, right? Of course <laughs> they can. <laughs> it's a disaster. But... I, you, you said a second ago that you, you, you don't think a cost-benefit analysis has been done in regard to this transition from oil and gas to electricity. It hasn't happened. I would argue that it's not about a cost-benefit analysis. It's not about making your life better, making you more prosperous, giving you an energy that's cheaper but also better for the environment. It's not about that. It's about power and control. You yeah. see... Uh, in Europe, these short-haul flights, they're starting to cancel. So you can't fly on a commercial airline for, for, for short jaunts, an hour flight. Now, that's commercial. If you're a private air traveler, you can afford your own jet. You can make those trips. This is about the elite empowering themselves and taking power and freedom away from the rest of America. And if you can take away your car, your oil and gas-driven car, and move America to electric— where it's very regulated, you have power and control over the American people, which, by the way, I, I'm, I'm shocked that more, more Americans don't understand that, and they're so willfully giving up their freedom to people that don't really care about them. It, I'm, on that note, I'm surprised that more people don't care and aren't angrier about it because that's exactly what happened during COVID. Yes. That it's fear. They start with fear. The fear of the virus, we need to shut you down. You need to hide in your homes. Fear equals control, and control equals power. Yes. So they start with the fear. And the fear of the climate used by the climate crusaders is the warming of the earth, The and they particularly use it with children. And you see this fear that kids live with that – the coastal cities are falling into the sea, hurricanes, which, again, the data about Atlantic hurricanes is just that they promote is just false. But it's, it's, it's weather. It's it's always weather related. You, you Greta Thunberg, how dare you? I shouldn't be here. I, I should be living my life as a child. 
You're ruining my life. You're ruining my life. (laughs) But it's that. So that's the fear. It always starts with fear equals, and then it's the control. And because the ultimate goal isn't about saving the earth. It isn't about saving your life. It's just power, accumulating power, accumulating more power, and then hanging on to it. So this is an adjacent point, but in my house, I don't have an Alexa. Now, I do have my, my iPhone, but my iPhone, you know, this will, will accuse them of listening to us because I get ads on conversations that I have with my wife. But if you talk to Chinese dissidents, they're amazed, or people from the old Soviet Union, they're amazed that we will bring censorship tools into our home, into our lives. They're like, this is crazy because we were censored. We were recorded. They watched everything that we did in the old Soviet Union and that you willfully bring it into your home, you guys are nuts, right? And so I, I heard an interview years ago, and I'm like, you know what? I'm not. It seems like an Alexa is really cool and really nice, but I don't have one. I don't want someone listening in my life that I actually has consented to. I don't have one. Good. I, I wasn't sure where. I don't have. The only reason I would have one is because I'm past the half century mark. And I'm at that By age, no, but I'm at that age where I just don't really give a damn anymore. There's nothing happening in my home right. that is of any value to anyone. Uh, yeah, but it can. I'm sure my TV has the capability. These the smart TVs have the capability to listen uh, in. to listen in. I have uh, Amazon Fire that has uh, the capability. The that, remote that does. Oh no, the, fire. the remote. The rem- my remote has the, the, voice activation. the voice activation in it. I'm less concerned about that, though it would be concerning. Your phone does too. I right. mean, however, I just I, I find it interesting, and it goes to the point of electric vehicles. Giving up oil and gas for electric is giving up freedom. Giving you know, bringing this Alexa for the comfort and ease of having this tool in your home, you give up your freedom, and how willing people. Um, are to do it. And and again, when we look at the threats that face the country, and I think you and I agree on those threats, um, it's so important that we recognize them to fight back against them, to make choices in our lives that say, listen, this is a step too far. We're not going to go there. It's my choice. That's what this nation was built on. And I look back at the Bill of Rights, those 10 sacrosanct amendments to the Constitution, and they at every turn and in the most underhanded dastardly way are chipping away at those freedoms. Those we're the only nation that has guaranteed personal freedoms like that. And we're we're reclaiming that choice and that freedom. I want to talk to you a little bit more about that. If you'll stick with me, we're going to go to break right now and we're going to talk about those bill of rights and the Dag and Sean perspective on why they're so important. (laughs) Um, We'll be right back. This is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Welcome back to Fox Across America. I am in for Jimmy Fallon. Sean Duffy here with my co-host in the bottom line, Dagan McDowell. Dagan, thanks for staying for another segment with me. You were just talking about the Bill of Rights and how the Bill of Rights are being chipped away at. What do you mean? Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, the FBI going after Catholics, the White House directly targeting the speech of doctors yes. online, on social media, 
Dr. J. Bhattacharya, to name one, about COVID, that is a violent, that is a constitutional violation of the First Amendment. The FBI, constitutional violation. And they do it in ways that the American people cannot see it. And we do not know it's happening. And through legal actions, through whistleblowers, we find out about these things. But can you imagine what has happened that we don't even know about? Yes. And we need to reclaim these rights in, in, the, way, in the way that when I understand what Ron DeSantis talks about when he says we need eight years, because it's not just about pumping more oil. It is about clearing out the rot in Washington. It is about cleaning house. You you are so right. Can I give you my perspective on this too? Because I th- I think you are hitting a, hitting a nerve because our founders gave us these beautiful rights, this beautiful constitution. Well, if you don't teach your kids in school and in your home how important those Bill of Rights are, how important freedom of speech is, freedom of religion is, how important the Second Amendment yes. is. It's not about deer hunting. The Second Amendment was about being able for the people to push back against a tyrannical government. They wanted to give people power and not just give it to the government. When you don't teach your children for generations how important these concepts are, these just become words on a piece of paper. They have no meaning within the body politic in America, which means no one is there to defend or be outraged when someone violates the First Amendment, when the FBI partners or the White House partners with Twitter and Facebook to censor conservative speech 30 years ago, 40 years ago, there would be outrage because that's not the role of government. Today, there's little outrage because people don't know what an affront that is to their freedom. When, when liberals go after guns, they, most Americans don't understand the power and the role of firearms in equalizing power between governments and people. And... 235 years ago, Patrick Henry, who gave us our call to liberty to the revolution, first governor of Virginia, he read the Constitution as it was written and said, and he saw the danger of those in power taking more power and more power and said, you need to codify in a Bill of Rights and guarantee personal freedoms. And he demanded that the Bill of Rights be inserted into our Constitution, and we would not have that without Patrick Henry. And where was Patrick Henry from? Well, he's buried in Brookneal, Virginia, and my hometown. Daggins hometown. <laughs> I have heard about Patrick Henry quite often, which, which I appreciate, I, my, my history lesson. Um, and, and again, if your schools aren't teaching this to your kids, talk about these concepts in your home, at your dinner table, educate your kids. Yep. So important to secure uh, our freedom in this country. Yep. Those great documents. David McDowell, thanks for joining me. See you later. We'll be right back. Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. And I'm Sean Duffy in for Jimmy Fallon. So it's Friday. It's the summer, and in the greater New York City area where I'm uh, sitting in Jimmy's seat, it's, you know, 90, 93 degrees, so obviously Jimmy Fela is off, 
I suspect he's on some beach somewhere, maybe a thong bikini, uh, you know, shirtless, strutting the beaches, sand between his toes, and I get to sail his ship. So put that picture in your mind. All right, let's uh, let's continue the conversation about the conflict between the FBI and the House Oversight Committee. Get some insight into the the inner workings of how this negotiation is taking place. No better person to have a conversation with on that topic than former chairman of the Oversight Committee, Jason Chaffetz, congressman from Utah, an all-around nice guy. Jason Chaffetz, welcome to Jimmy Fallon's Fox Across America. Well, you're you're um, living up to the tradition of the show by segueing from Jimmy in a bikini thong to uh, the oversight committee. Uh, that's that's quite a segue. That was, I've never quite had an introduction like that, but this is the place I would have well, such an introduction. I, I, I thought about to be talk about Jimmy in one of the Tucket swimsuits from Target, and I thought that's a step too far. That keep that image out of your mind. Oh uh, my! I hope you're doing well, Jason. Good I was uh, <laughs> a few minutes ago, but yeah. All right, let's talk oversight because I have been to this rodeo before. I know how this works. And so, um, yeah, so, so yeah, t- t- tell us, tell us the, the, the back and forth, the negotiations that happen with an oversight committee and an FBI, which you've done. Well, it's frustrating because there really shouldn't be a negotiation. Um, it, it doesn't work the other way. Would the FBI negotiate with, <laughs> with somebody else, anybody else, even, you know, Donald Trump or anybody else? Do you think the FBI is going to come? Well, we're thinking about, you know, looking at some documents. Do you think that maybe you would let us please have a look at They wouldn't do that. I, I, can't you just say, I, wanna pre, I don't want to share my sources and methods with the FBI. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. I mean, you, that's always the excuse, sources and methods. Yeah. And there's, there's a great deal of respect for that. But as James Comer, the, the current chairman of the Oversight Committee, has said, this is an unclassified document. This is not a classified document, and there is a huge difference. So what they're offering supposedly is this in-camera review. Now, that's the fancy word, the technical word that they use for, we'll let you see it. You cannot take notes. You can't take pictures of it, even though it's called an in-camera review. Uh, We'll come over and watch you look at it, um, um, but we're not going to let you have it. That is so fundamentally wrong. There's a duly issued subpoena from the House of Representatives. But the fundamental problem, and you know this, Sean, from your time there, is Congress doesn't ever really stand up for itself. They don't act like a co-equal branch of government. Government funds paid for this. Um, The American taxpayers paid for this. So the Oversight Committee by the People's House has the right to look at this document and have this document, particularly particularly because it is unclassified. So, Jason, I, I'm a I'm a simple man, and oftentimes I just try to use my common sense to figure out what's happening. And so, if the FBI had a document that made some salacious allegations against Joe Biden, and they investigated it, and it came to be nothing. And the House learned about it, and they said, well, we want that document, FBI. We're going to give you a subpoena. I think in those circumstances, the FBI would say, gladly, we're going to turn this unclassified document. We will redact the sources and methods, and we're going to turn it over to you. And you can look at it, and we're going to tell the American people, we've investigated this, and there's nothing there. I mean, that's the way that would play out if that was the circumstances. Right Now, if there is something in the document that is 
salacious, again, laying out a criminal enterprise between Joe Biden when he was vice president and some foreign country where Joe Biden was paid for acts that he did as the vice president. And the FBI did not investigate it. They didn't dig deeper, go further to verify or not verify the allegation. Then they're going to say, well, whoa, we don't want to give this to the Congress because one, we could expose Joe Biden, or we could expose the political nature of the FBI playing partisan politics by not investigating the sitting president when we were all too willing to investigate the sitting president, Donald Trump. That's right. And that's why I think everybody starts to realize, anybody's looked at this, that the that, that James Comer and the Oversight Committee, they're over the target. I think it's the step two that the FBI is truly worried about. Um, that they didn't pursue this, they didn't look at it, um, that they don't want this information out there because it's going to be potentially damning to them that they didn't run this to the ground, that you had a, a an allegation that they did not pursue. And remember, they pursued fictitious ones on Donald Trump. Right. And so, you know, the idea that Joe Biden had this allegation, and look, you combine that, voicemails, text messages, emails, um, video, photographs, and the, um, the the financial transactions, suspicious activity reports, 170-plus of them that the Treasury Department has. There's enough smoke there to say, yeah, this is what was happening. I mean, even Louis Free, the former FBI director, who was given some work by the Bidens, and then paid the Bidens for getting that work. They, they, they obviously were engaged in these types of activities. So there's a lot of evidence to suggest. And because remember, I think the Department of Justice has had this laptop since like 2019, I think. 2018 is a long time. I mean, they've had it for years and years. So, um, but then, you know, but you have an FBI. Remember the, the last week? Um, there was testimony from the uh, deputy of counterintelligence when a, a senator said, have you read the, or maybe it was a House member, have you read the Durham report? And she said no. Like, they really <laughs> don't care. They they, don't care. Like, how can you not read the Durham report if that's your job and you're supposedly living up to the recommendations that are made in the report? Well, going, going back to the, um, the FBI, it's very – this can be – all of a sudden seem very complicated and where did money go and what did Joe Biden do? The first thing you could do is – and it's very simple for the FBI – to do a forensic audit of Joe Biden. You know how much money he made, right, because he was the vice president of the United States. And then he got out and very publicly he did a book and, you know, he then gave some speeches. And if he was getting other benefits from money that came to Hunter Biden, that would – raise the alarm bells and you would look a little bit further. Was there some scheme or plan for Joe Biden to make money while he was the vice president? Maybe as, as background, Jason, just when, when you serve in government, you and I were congressmen, we couldn't sell access to our office through our, through our siblings or our parents and say, I'll try to push this legislation and you pay my brother to lobby me to do it. And then in the end, my brother will pay my mortgage. My brother will take me on vacation but I'll do what you asked my brother to do. I mean, that's illegal. You and I can't do that. The vice president and the president can't do that. You can't make money on the side. And if Joe Biden did this, it's illegal. And I think that's why people are so interested. You mentioned the Hunter Biden laptop. 
it is a smoking gun that we the story would not have evolved the way it has if we didn't have the laptop. And a lot of the money that Joe Biden potentially made was made through his son, Hunter. And and you're hitting right at the core of the problem here is that the FBI did have this for years. And so the, the core question is, what are they doing? And so then when you have whistleblowers step forward and say, you know, Attorney General Garland promised that the IRS would have unfettered, you know, ability mm-hmm. to pursue the tax evasion uh, potential uh, that is there. But then you have the whistleblower, the head who's been there for 10 plus years, highly credible gentleman come forward and say, no, the Department of Justice did put the brakes on us. They did dismantle our team. They didn't let us pursue that. Again, their whole story starts to starts to really break down. And the other thing I remind people is Joe Biden was elected in 1972. OK, I was, what, five years old um, uh, I was back one. then? I was one, Jason. You were one? Okay, well, I was four years your senior because you I was in preschool going into, you know, kindergarten. and um, Big baller. Yeah, well, that's the way it rolls, you know. And um, that's when he was first elected. So how does he become this multimillionaire? Like, when did that happen? You can get revenue from books, but how do you have a beach house and then have this other big house when you're in government service for that long? Yeah, he probably sold some books. But not that, that many kind of books? Yeah. Come on. It, 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 is, it is suspect. So let me ask you quickly before we have to go about Comer and the decision he made. Right? He, mm-hmm. it, so they could have pursued, the House could have pursued um, uh, an impeachment, um, hold him in contempt. They would have hold it, held Ray in contempt. Ray has now said, you can see this document in camera. Um, basically, that's in the skiff. You can review it. Should have Comer held out and said no. We're not going to review this in camera. We're entitled to it. You're going to give it to us, and we're going to hold you in contempt. I think you can do both. I think you go look at it, have the staff look at it. Um, you can. It, it, it's, it's only. It's going to be a short document. It's. It, this is not a voluminous, you know, three hundred page. This is a report. This is going to be a couple pages long, if that. Um, and uh, go look at it, and then say, yeah, uh, we're more convinced than ever. That we have to have this in our in our uh, possession in order to pursue legislation that we want to pursue, and in order to pursue the investigation that we want to pursue, you can still do that too. Very fortunate that somebody who worked with me actually on the oversight committee is now the chief of staff to Speaker McCarthy, uh, Michaela Carr. She has deep oversight experience, and she's the chief of staff to Kevin McCarthy, and I think that'll bode well for those types of decisions. Chairman, don't make them in isolation. You work with the Speaker's office, and uh, Michaela used to work with us in the Oversight Committee. And, in, and it seems like Kevin McCarthy has been incredibly supportive of James Comer. i got to tell you, I'm, I am uh, pleasantly surprised at how much this Republican Congress has done, how much James Comer has done as the Oversight yeah. Chair in such a short period of time. Uh, maybe there was just a lot of low-hanging fruit that they were able to get, but they've, they've really um, shed a lot of light on what's been taking place uh, after a couple of years of darkness of Democrat control and a Democrat Joe Biden in the White hey, House. Hey, look, he's he's my second favorite, you know, former chairman of the Oversight Committee. And, you know, he should be your second favorite, too, Sean. Is this after was it Trey Gotti? Was he the first <laughs> or you? You're my you're my first. I'll let you come to your own <laughs> conclusions. But, you know, did Trey did Trey have? No, he didn't have. He had judiciary. No, yeah. he had. No, he had oversight. Did he have oversight, too? 
Oh, good for you. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Trey Gowdy, chairman for life, as far as he, he that's what he kept telling everybody. So, the, well, I don't know about, the, I don't know about the chairman. chairman. I just think he likes, you know, doing different hairstyles. He likes pomp and circumstances, and he, he really likes it when people want to take photos with him. That's his pomp, like favorite circumstance thing. Circumstance and pomade. Yeah, (laughs) you gotta love it. Yes, Trey Gowdy. That's yeah. We should do a whole segment. I would love to be back in your show. Just talk about Trey Gowdy. Just talk smack about him, just for fun. We're gonna do that, and we'll 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 bring pictures. Jason Chaffetz. (laughs) It's a radio show, Sean. It's a radio show. (laughs) Well, you're gonna get some show sometime, and I'm gonna come on and paint a picture with Jimmy and his thong. So uh, you can paint a picture on radio, I guess. Yeah, Yeah, I'm sorry about that, everybody. Jason Chaffetz, Utah former congressman. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Fox Across America. Again, Sean Duffy sitting in for the great, the handsome Jimmy Fallon. So I'm going to pivot here. Let's talk about China. Let's talk about energy, America and energy superpower, China, uh, not so much. A great new piece came out on uh, foxnews.com written by Quill Robertson entitled, China Wants to Be Energy Superpower. Here's how they can be stopped. So, Quill, welcome to the program. Appreciate you joining me. You with me there, Quill? Thanks, Sean. Good to be here. All right. You're also a senior advisor with Conserve America. Thanks for being here. Lay this out. How do, how does America beat China? How do we stop them from being an energy superpower? Absolutely. Well, Sean, as you know, China is really top of mind for a lot of Americans right now, and it seems to be the one the one issue that Democrats and Republicans seem to agree on is that the the threat that it poses to America is very serious. When it comes to energy, I think it's a it's an element of this relationship that is sometimes underplayed. Um, partly because the United States is an energy superpower right now. We produce more oil, more natural gas than any other nation on Earth, um, and China is relatively energy poor. But in China's effort to overtake the U.S., they're taking some pretty alarming steps uh, to really capture the energy transition and make sure that they're going to come out ahead when it comes to clean energy and renewable energy. And just to put some numbers on this, uh, China currently manufactures 70 percent of the world's solar panels, um, around 50% of wind turbines, and 90% of lithium-ion batteries. And so, you know, we can debate about how quickly the energy transition is going to happen, but what's certain is that China is trying to get ahead of the United States on these sorts of technologies that are going to be critical in the future. This has a lot of implications economically, environmentally, also in terms of national security. And so what I argue in the piece is that we really need to have a global energy agenda continue to produce oil and natural gas, but also make sure that China is not running circles around us when it comes to these new clean energy technologies. And so it comes back to critical minerals. So you mentioned the lithium triangle. You look at cobalt in the Congo, and China plays in all of those places. They're investing money extracting those minerals, which are incredibly important to making batteries. And so is it too late for America to engage in the critical mineral game and also the investments in the new generations of batteries and solar panels and, and wind turbines? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, currently China has about 90, produces about 90% of lithium-ion batteries in the world, so that's a pretty commanding share. 
Um, but what we can do is take some steps to make sure that they're not getting a chokehold on where a lot of this lithium, cobalt, nickel, these other critical minerals are produced. As it stands today, South America's largest trading partner is China. That's a huge problem. That's in our own backyard. And so we really need to be acting more aggressively and be more forward thinking and engaging with partners in South America, also in Africa. China has a very aggressive strategy here when it comes to the Belt and Road Initiative to invest in these nations, um, which they sometimes play off as uh, you know, them trying to help them out. But in reality, what they're doing is really just capturing the natural resources that these nations possess. So we, need to, we really need to think about energy as a global issue here. It's all good and well to produce a lot of oil and gas in the United States. But even if we continue to dominate the oil and gas production, we're going to be affected by global prices. And we need to have this global strategy that engages with these countries that have the resources that are going to power the economy of the future. And so I think it's going to take a lot more global engagement and honestly a more coherent policy. I think the, the Biden administration has really flip-flopped. Um, they've had a very anti-oil and gas agenda um, and then been very unrealistic about renewables. My argument is that we need to use all of the above and have a much more integrated strategy that appreciates that this is fundamentally a global issue. Why haven't U.S. firms then invested in the critical minerals and the technology? So America is a global leader. Obviously, China's done something right um, as they've made these investments? Well, domestically, I mean, uh, this this problem can be helped domestically. You've probably heard a lot about the, the permitting reform discussion that's going on right now. We can produce a lot more lithium and cobalt and other, uh, other minerals here in the United States, but that's going to require getting the government off the backs of a lot of the firms that are producing these critical minerals in the United States. So that's, that's one part of the solution is, is domestically producing more critical minerals. But I, I think it's going to take an administration that understands that uh, solar panels aren't just uh, – you know, are not just something that uh, Al Gore can, like, can, can produce out of his imagination. They actually require inputs. And so that's going to really require some uh, collaboration between private firms and the government uh, to have a more proactive diplomatic strategy that matches the the size and scale of the Belt and Road. No doubt about about that. You needed uh, an an American administration that believes uh, in the country and loves the country and wants to make sure America is still a global leader. Quill, thanks for joining us on Fox Across America. We'll be right back. It's America's Life Coach, Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. All right, Sean Duffy here in for Jimmy Fallon, and he is my life coach. That is for sure. All insights, all wisdom, all humor comes from the great Jimmy Fallon. It's been an honor to sit in his, in his uh, beautiful chair, uh, sailing the ship for the last two and a half hours, half an hour left. Uh, and we have saved the best for last, the smartest for last, the most insightful for last. Even better than Jason Chaffetz, who was on just before. Let's bring in Congressman Pat Fallon. He represents Texas, uh, 4th Congressional District. He's on the House Armed Services Committee and also on the House Oversight and Reform Committee. Congressman, thanks for joining the show. Sean, thank you. Those were very uh, high. Thanks for the high praise. And I have a face made for radio, my friend. I'm uh-huh. ready to go. Well, you know what? I, I got to slam Jason Chaffetz after he's off the air. And I would say the bar is low with Jason. You got over the Jason Chaffetz <laughs> bar. He knows I love him. All oh, right. no, he's a great American. <laughs> so, P- Pat, I want to. He is a great American. I, I, I love him to death. He's a great colleague here at Fox now as well. Um, I want to cover a couple topics with you. Let's first talk about uh, government oversight and reform. Uh, we've been talking throughout the show. James Comer struck a deal with Christopher Ray at the FBI 
to look at uh, this document that uh, allegedly exposes a criminal enterprise between Joe Biden and a foreign entity while Joe Biden was the vice president of the United States. Um, Comer and Jamie Raskin are going to look at that document. Jamie Raskin, the ranking Democrat on the Oversight Committee. However, you're on the committee and you're not going to have a chance to see it. Are you annoyed? Do you want to see it? Do the other committee members want to see it? Do other Republicans in the House want to see this document? Was this a good decision by Comer himself? Well, I, I definitely think that uh, every Repu- at least every Republican member on the committee would like to see it. And I think what Chairman Comer, you know, he's done such a fabulous job. I think what he's going to do he is uh, take take copious notes. And I'll talk to him about that because that is something I want to inquire as to, you know, the FBI has to report. They, they report to us. We're the elected representatives of the people. And that document should have been, and I think copies should have been made. It's an accusation. That's what an FD 1023 is. So what we want to do is find out a few things. Obviously, what's in it specifically, but also did the FBI do their due diligence and did they follow up? Did they exhaust every lead? Did they do, uh, in short, their jobs? Or are they, as many of are accusing them of doing, are they protecting the Biden family? Yeah, you could put this to bed real easy. And by the way, I want to know, literally, if if Joe Biden didn't do anything, if there was no criminal enterprise where Hunter Biden was selling access to his father as the vice president, if that didn't happen, I want to know, and I'll drop it. But if it did happen, I do want to know, and I think that it would explain a lot of the things that Joe Biden has done, you know, strategically with China, making America the little brother to China the big brother. John, you know, it makes, my, it makes me want to pull my hair out because what do we know for sure? Like, what's indisputable facts? We know that his son, unfortunately, was a lifelong derelict and has uh, led a life that was littered with crack pipes and prostitutes and such. And then suddenly he became an international multimillionaire businessman. And what changed in his life? Well, his father became vice president. And then in 2019, Joe Biden said he had no idea what his son Hunter was doing with his business. He never met any of his associates, et cetera. So Joe Biden built this firewall. Now, why did he? Because we found out that that was all lies. It was all false. He's met with scores of hundreds business associates. And quite frankly, also, what does the Biden family do? What good do they provide or what services do they offer? And who the hell – I'm a small business guy. Who pockets seed capital, Sean? Why did they form 20 LLCs? Why did – how did Hunter make $10 million from foreign entities, and why did they always pay it through shell companies and then to us, an associate of Hunter's, who then distributed it to the Biden family? Why are there 170 suspicious activity reports that have been filed by financial institutions that they're, they're required to do so by law when they think that there's, oh, I don't know, maybe fraud or uh, you know money laundering, things of that nature? The whistleblowers – uh, are saying all over the place that Joe Biden is being protected by the DOJ, FBI, IRS. So all we're trying to do is follow the evidence and get to the bottom of this. And to your point very quickly, Joe Biden and Hunter could have put this to bed years ago by simply opening up all their financial records and saying, hell, there's nothing here, kids. Go ahead and take a look. Well, whether you're in America or you're a foreign business, a foreign businessman who's really wealthy or you run a company that's really wealthy, I imagine you're kind of smart. You got some brains with uh, the money that you made, and most smart people don't hire crack addicts. Porn-addicted crack (laughs) addicts aren't hired by smart people to do anything, right? They might give them a couple bucks on the street as they're begging for cash, but they don't give them millions of dollars. The question becomes, why do really smart people give crack addict Hunter Biden cash? 
because Hunter Biden is bringing their wishes to the vice president and and the, and the vice president is doing the bidding of these foreign countries. And, the, and, and by the way, is that that's not that that's unseemly. That's not illegal. It is illegal well, if Joe yeah. Biden was making money off of Hunter Biden selling access to Joe. If Joe's the big guy, and if he really was getting right. 10 points on all the deals, influence peddling uh, and uh, selling access. Yes, Hunter is definitely not somebody that you'd want to leave, I don't know, your kids. You, know, you don't want him babysitting your kids. Right. I get that. Okay. <laughs> no. And, you know, it's just kind of like Jimmy Carter. You know, remember Jimmy Beer and all that stuff? Or not, not Jimmy. Billy Carter. Billy. Billy. Billy right. Beer. Yeah. A friend of mine told me he had a – I was just a kid. This older guy said, it takes like it tastes like rat pee. I mean, so the presidents have had siblings that – or family members that have cashed in on their um, office. But was Joe a part of the deal? All indications are he he is because, again, if – you know, we get accused of things as elected officials. And I always say, hell, I'm an open book here. You know, I haven't done anything. You know, and then the thing goes away. They're doing the exact opposite. They're dragging their feet. They're lawyering up. They have lies upon lies. And once they get exposed, they invent new lies. And that's and – in a lot of ways, Sean, they've also thrown their Democratic colleagues under the bus because they really thought – this business was legitimate. Now they know it wasn't legitimate, but was it illegal? You're right. And, and, and their behavior feeds the flame, right? They're doing things exactly. that someone who's guilty does, um, which, again, is why we keep asking questions. I want to I want to uh, talk about another topic. Let's talk about the House. So uh, there was a vote uh, to raise the, the debt limit earlier this week. Um, first, did, did you vote for it? And then I have a question about McCarthy. I did not vote for it. Uh, I was one of the 71 Republicans that voted no. Okay. I, by the way, I, I, I understand what McCarthy had to do in the negotiations. I understand the hand that he was delivered. I understand we got cuts um, in that deal. But I, I kind of side with you. I, we're $32 trillion in debt, and I think we have to do more. I think a debt crisis is on our horizon, and um, this this – this doesn't this doesn't do enough to right the ship. Um, no, that's exactly that's exactly why Shauna didn't vote for it. Exactly, but not enough. I, I got to give I got to give McCarthy credit that 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 Republicans actually voted to raise the debt limit uh, in the first volley with with certain cuts again, bringing spending back to December levels, one percent cap on on um, uh, on future growth of spending, clawing back COVID money. Work requirements, a whole bunch of things were in there, and I'm, I, it was really impressive that that vote came. I don't think any Democrat, especially Joe Biden, thought that what a five-seat majority Republican House could pass anything, um, and they did. And Joe Biden said, "I'm not going to negotiate with Kevin McCarthy." He did negotiate um, and did cut a deal and did make concessions. Out of this, out of this debt negotiation conflict between Biden and McCarthy, does. Does McCarthy win? Is McCarthy's stock, has it gone up through these negotiations? That's a great question. I would say in some quarters, of course, and in other quarters it's gone down. I think it's a general net rule, though. It's probably a tick up or it's about where it was or maybe a tick up. And here's the deal. There's been some of my colleagues that have called for his removal. And I, could, I patently reject that at this point. I'll tell you why. Because for six months, he's done, I think, a hell of a job, and nobody was complaining. Not one of, the, of my 220 other colleagues said anything other than we're, we're working together, we're, we're working as a unit, we're united. And then to throw him out when he is dealt, as you say, a bad hand, a tough hand, 
when we have a narrow majority in one chamber, the Democrats are in charge of the Senate and the Democrats are in charge of the White House. So if people want to place blame on a deal that wasn't good enough, the real blame lies at the feet of, and I'll give you a list, Joe Biden, Chuck Schumer, Hakeem Jeffries, and all the other Democrats that refuse to acknowledge what you just said, that we are facing an inevitable financial calamity at some point, and all you did was kick the can down the road. And so to Kevin, if we removed him now, what does that mean moving forward? We only have uh, a guaranteed 18 more months left in the majority. Are we going to be like the Italian parliament and have seven more speakers in that time? Because I tell you what, we'll be in the minority come January of 25. If that's the case. So I, I 100% agree. I'm, I'm one who says I don't like this deal. I think the debt's a, a, a huge problem. I think we have to be more serious about it. But I can also, in the same breath, recognize that Kevin McCarthy did the best he could with the hand that he was dealt. And I don't know if you put any one of the other you know, 70 people who voted no in the, in the room with Joe Biden if they would have got a better deal. I, I don't know that that's the case. Um, and I think it would be a massive mistake for Republicans to try to throw Kevin McCarthy out when it's not McCarthy as much as it was, to your point, Joe Biden and and Democrats in the Senate and the House. And they believe in spending more money. They don't they don't yeah. see thirty two trillion dollars in debt as a problem. They don't see the what is it, two billion dollars a day that we pay in interest on the debt. That's not a problem. They just want to spend more. And so that is a really tough hand when you don't have complete control. You got to get a Senate to vote for it, and you got to get a president to sign it. It's a it's a pretty tough um, negotiating position to be in. And I think he did fairly well, even though I don't like it and wouldn't vote for it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, took the words right out of my mouth. That's what divide the government gets you sometimes. And last the last fiscal year, we spent four hundred billion dollars just on the interest on the debt. And it's probably going to rise because of inflation. It's somewhere between six hundred billion, maybe even seven fifty. That's an insanely large number. Think of the things. That's half of our military defense budget. Half. So when the Democrats say, "Oh, what about grandma and what about veterans and people that are reliant on Medicare, Medicaid, and all that?" Look at the money that we're burning in a furnace for nothing because of your irresponsible spending over the past several decades. And both Republicans and Democrats are playing more, a little bit more on the Democratic side, of course. But that's why I don't ever want to vote for a debt ceiling increase, ever, because I want to get our financial house in order and work toward a balanced budget so we can save this country and ensure that its best days have yet to be counted. Well, I, listen, I, I think you have to raise the debt limit as long as you're on a plan to balance, right? Because it's going yes, to take exactly. time to get to balance. But if you're not on a plan to balance – you're raising the debt limit just to perpetuate you know, more spending and more borrowing without a plan to fix it. I made this point earlier. Every family who has ever been in debt understands what happens when you have debt. You, Whether you rack up your credit card, you buy a house that's too expensive, or you buy a car, all of a sudden you have, you have payments for purchases that were made in the past, and those payments include principal and interest. And especially on credit cards, you see that if you, if you spend money yesterday, you're paying for it today, and it eats up your whole paycheck. You have less and less discretionary money per month because you're paying for the purchases that you made a month ago or a year ago or five years ago. And that's exactly what we're doing in this country. The, we're, we're, we're spending a larger percentage of our cash that could go to all kinds of things on interest, on money that was spent um, years ago. And by the way, I, I, mean, I mentioned this before earlier. I mean, we've spent trillions of dollars on services, whether it's on a homelessness, on, on food stamps, on, uh, on, on housing. And 
it hasn't got better in America. The more money you spend doesn't seem to improve homelessness. The more money you spend on education doesn't improve education. The more money you spend on food stamps doesn't you know, get less people on food stamps. It seems like you get worse education the more you spend, and you get more homeless, more drug addicted, and, 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 and more people in food poverty the more money you spend on these programs. Yeah, when you subsidize something, you tend to get more of it. And that's precisely what we've gotten and what we should be doing. I mean, I remember when I was in my first term, the Democrats passed an extension of the unemployment benefits for uh, during COVID. And they were so excited. They were paying people from just the federal government. Remember what the states were giving them? $30,000 to sit on their duff, eat Cheetos, smoke pot, and watch TV. That is not a recipe for success. And they were cheering and hugging each other and almost in tears. And I thought, you are all mentally ill. Why do you think that's a good thing? That's a terrible thing. These people are just existing. They're not living. You want to have a life of accomplishment, and sometimes you've got to give people a little tough love. They get out there and work, particularly if you're able-bodied and have absolutely no dependence. You have absolutely no excuse for not working and earning your keep. Well, listen, I have a, I have a, I have a big heart. If, if someone falls on hard times, I don't mind if the government or the churches are helping them back on their feet. That's okay. But if I'm working my tail off and I'm paying taxes so you can, to your point, sit at home – watch Netflix, smoke dope, and play video games, when you're an able-bodied adult, I'm sorry, that's not fair. I don't want to work my tail off and pay taxes where you can sit at home and not work. That's not right, especially when there's jobs that are being unfilled by people who could fill them and choose not to. And I think that is the, there's a social contract that's been developed over, over decades, and that's being broken. And I think there's going to be anger, anger by the people who are actually working subsidizing people who could work but choose not to. We, every single person that comes into my office, doesn't matter what business they're in, they all tell me they're having trouble hiring people. They're desperate for labor. Yes. And even the military, we have a – nobody's really talking about this. I'm on the Armed Services Committee as well. We have a recruiting crisis across all the – except the Marines because they're the Marines and they're you know, super awesome and elite and the few, the proud and all. But the, the Navy, Army, and Air Force are having a recruiting crisis. And we can't, you know, solve it with retention over the long haul. And we've got to address that. We've got to incentivize people to go to work. And no. that's the important thing. And I'm all for the safety net and all that, but not like 50 weeks, 99 weeks, something like six, eight weeks, 12 weeks. That's it. And then you've got to get out back in the workforce, baby. you got to do it. Get back to work, baby. Pat Fallon, congressman from Texas, a free state, a no-tax state. Um, thanks for joining me on Fox Across America. You are the best. And by the way, you do have a, a face for for television, but joining me on radio today. You have a good one. Hey, Thank Sean, you, you know what I'm doing? I'm, I'm, I'm inhaling right now. The free air of Texas, baby. The free air of Texas. I love it. God, God love Texas. All right, we'll be right back. You're hanging out with Jimmy Fallon on Fox Across America. We are taking this bad boy home. Sean Duffy in for uh, Jimmy Fail. We have a couple minutes left in the show, and it is summer. And during the summertime, it's such a great time to take a vacation, to get away with your family. And so I'm sitting in Fox Studios right now here in New York City, and my heart's in Wisconsin. I'm born and raised Wisconsin guy. I go back. I'm going to get 10 days back in Wisconsin. I go back to my hometown. I, I, get, I have a little cabin on the lake, and I bring all my kids and and we'll fish and we'll paddleboard and uh, they'll ski a little bit. Uh, I enjoy that. I love it. But I think it's a time where if you have a family, if you have kids, um, whether it's you're camping, 
um, whether you're taking a road trip somewhere, um, or maybe your resources don't allow that, and you're like, you know what, I'm going to do a staycation. If I can go to the backyard and pitch a tent and build a fire and roast marshmallows and hot dogs, or if I'm in an apartment somewhere, I'm going to pitch a tent in my living room and have a special cool experience with your kids. It's bonding. It builds memories. It builds a relationship. You put your phones down and you hang out with each other and you tell stories. I think as we go into summer, it's that time to think about those special moments that we've had in our childhood and how we can give those memories to our kids where we spend time together as a family. Summer is the time for that. I hope that you all plan, because it takes time to plan, think through, get away, spend time, connect, be together. If you want to save America, you have to save your family first. That's where you make this thing all work. It's been a pleasure sitting in for Jimmy Fela. Until next time, have a great day. With the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.